Morning, church. Great to be with you all on this gorgeous uh, April morning. Welcome to those of you watching online as well this morning. As has been said time or two already, we're beginning a new series. And this new series is to do a couple things. Yes, to acknowledge and to celebrate uh, the great history of this church. But really, as partly as a way to inspire us, uh, I think as Jason said, uh, to what God wants to do in the near future. Uh, it would be, um, you know, um, obvious, but I'm going to say it anyway, that I, this church, its board, its members, you, many of you here have been here a while, you know, we, we do stand on the shoulders of people, um, you know, many of them long gone, who made a series of commitments. You know, they said yes here and no here and, and gave extra here and were sacrificial here. We stand on their shoulders. We are here today as a Bible-believing church doing a good in this community, sharing the message of the gospel because of their decisions. And we have a sacred responsibility as well, a stewardship uh, that we need to keep in mind that some of the children, grandchildren, yet to be great-grandchildren by God's grace who will be part of this church standing here as the pastor even in the days to come. And the big idea of this series, let me start with the end in mind, is to challenge every person in this church today to a greater commitment in your faith by a greater engagement in the mission of this church. A greater commitment in your faith by a greater engagement in the mission of this church. You might say this series is a campaign. Okay, but it's not a campaign. We've done these before. You've been involved in these where we're trying to raise capital. We're trying to raise money. It's a campaign where we're trying to raise even more mature disciples of Jesus. Okay, that's what this is about. The all in challenge. The big idea is to see all of us make this decision. But there is, I would say this, there's, there's nothing greater. Maybe I hope you would agree. There's nothing greater you can give your life to than the mission that God has given to his church, and this one included. There's really nothing greater, if you think of what you can give your life to, than the mission God has given to this church and the story that God is telling, has been telling, and is continuing to tell, not only through the Capital C Church, but through this church and the story he wants to tell through your life. But here's the big idea of this morning's sermon as an introduction to this series. If you really want to be a part, I mean truly a, a genuine material part of the mission that God has brought to the world and to this through this church, the story that God is telling through this church, the story that God wants to tell in your life, you have to give all of your life to it, okay? You can't be a disciple of Jesus in the truest sense part-time. You, if you want to be a part of this mission, truly, if you want God to tell a story through your life, you have to give all of your life to it, all right? This is the all-in challenge that we're talking about. So this, it's the all It's really Jesus' point in the passage we're going to look at this morning. Discipleship is an all-in challenge. You have a copy of the Bible, Luke chapter 14. We'll look at verses 25 to 35, the words of Jesus, the all-in challenge. Follow along as I read. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you 
wants to build a tower, won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and was not able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he's able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able... He will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In this same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Salt is good, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? If it is fit for neither the soil nor the manure pile, it is thrown out. Wow. Whoever has ears to hear, let them here. Now, quick context. This passage, Luke 14, and the ones that we read, is part of what's often called the travel log. Okay, that word's not in the Bible, but it might be in a heading. What is the travel log? At least in Luke's gospel, it's simply 10 chapters. Happens at the end of chapter 9, Jesus has this moment. It's supposed to, let's see, you might say, a, a pivot of his ministry, but a, an actual a, a geographical pivot as well. It says, He began and looked forward to Jerusalem. He was in Galilee, and he's going to Jerusalem. And his disciples and more, it says a large crowd are following with him. But it's a, it's, it's a moment. Luke is marking not only a geographical journey from Galilee in the north to Jerusalem in the south. Not even that far, but, you know, maybe a week or two, whatever it takes. to get. He's not only marking a geographical journey, but it is a spiritual journey as well. Okay, Because what Jesus is doing here is he's leaving behind. Some of the confrontations he had early on, if you read Luke's gospel, where he's talking and he's being confronted by the religious establishment. He's got his game face on and, he's, and they're having confrontations. But now Jesus is leaving them and he's going to Jerusalem. And the people that are following him, it says, as we just read, large crowds were traveling with Jesus. Okay, And these large crowds, if you read not only Luke 14, but the, the travelogue, Luke 9 to about Luke, end of Luke 18, you see these are largely enthusiastic supporters. Okay, Jesus is really traveling with people who are either, they certainly include the 12 apostles, but it includes many other, let's say, followers, or at least would-be followers. And Jesus wants to do something in these words. He says, listen, in so many words, as any good leader would do, as a parent would do, as any good coach would do, would say, listen, I want to say something as we're on our way to Jerusalem. I want to make sure that your enthusiasm is matched by a true understanding of what's going to take place. Because there's no point in you following me, continuing to follow me, when, I, when you don't really know what you're getting into. I want you to know what you're getting into. I want your heart uh, and your commitment to match your enthusiasm, okay? That's what Jesus wants. He wants to prepare them for what is truly required to be a disciple. It's, and it's a message for all would-be disciples, including you and including me. Discipleship is an all-in challenge. Three things quickly that this passage tells us about the all-in challenge. Number one, you need to take, what's Jesus saying? You need to take the long view, right? You need to take the long view. Following Jesus is a lifelong journey, okay? Following Jesus is a lifelong journey. The most obvious point in these two short parables that we just read, right, 
You know, suppose one of you, at first he says these hard things that kind of throw us off. Unless you hate your mother, your father, your own life, and unless you give up everything, pick up your cross and follow me. Wow. That sort of let that hang for a minute in the air. And then he says, I know you're trying to understand what I've just said. And then he tells two simple parables that both have the kind of the same meaning, right? One is, listen, before you're going to build a tower, sit down and think it out to see whether or not you are able to do it, right? I mean, and in, in, in even in our day today, if someone was going to build a tower, say a hotel, I mean, it doesn't happen overnight, but in Jesus' day, I promise you, if somebody was going to build a tower, it was probably the project that would take their entire life. It took 46 years, it says in some verse in, in the New Testament, to build Herod's temple. Right? I mean, people lived and died in that period. He's saying, listen, think it out. Same with the second parable. They're just two parables, two simple stories making the same point. Or maybe you're a king and you're going to go to war. Let me tell you something. One of the most serious things, let's use our own uh, government as an example, one of the most serious weighty responsibilities the President of the United States will ever do is to send men and women off to war. It's the weightiest decision they will make. Life and death. Are you going to send off these men and these men and young men and women off to meet their death? Is it worth it? He's saying, think it out. That's what Jesus is trying to say. He wants you to make an informed decision to estimate the cost about building your life on him. Make an informed decision, not an impulsive one. Right? Not an impulsive one. We're going to talk here in the weeks to come. Why do some people start out the faith and don't finish? Because they haven't estimated the cost. Right? They haven't estimated the cost. I'm, I'm in the, you know, like a lot of people, you know, here we've been in COVID for two years and doing some housework, and so I decided I needed a new garage door. Now, I can say I'm sure half of the people or maybe seven-eighths of the people have lived your whole life and never buy a garage door. I mean, how many times do you buy a garage door? So I get the thing, look at the brochure. I have two different companies come over all as well, and I find, so this is what I want. I think I want. I just want an estimate. So the guy calls me back. He says, I'm right, here you go. I said, how much? He said, $13,000. <laughs> now, I said, wow, I just haven't, I, I, had to admit, I was laughing a little bit and a little surprised. I said, I have to admit, I've never bought a garage door in my whole life, $13,000. And he said, well, um, that, is, um, that one is our Maserati. That's what he said. <laughs> so he said, this one is our Maserati. And I, for a minute, I thought, he thinks I'm a Maserati driving kind of a guy, you know? <laughs> But quickly, I realized that, okay, well, that's, uh, are they all that expensive? And he said, oh, no, no. Most of them in the, in, in the brochure, most of them are uh, in the three uh, to $2,000 range, okay? <laughs> but here's the point. I get, this isn't just for garage doors, of course. But they give you these brochures without prices because they hope that you're going to make a decision. Julie's shaking her head. <laughs> Did you buy one of those, Julie? You, you know, they hope you're going to make a decision, a commotional decision, before you know what the cost is. See, Jesus doesn't work that way. This is the point of, these, uh, of this tough, what sounds like tough rhetoric. Jesus wants you to make an informed decision. Let me say what is true for me, probably true for many people in this room. I mean, I'm, I've been in this game, if you want to call it the Christian uh, game, became a Christian in college. It's been a few years. I've lived some lives. I've been a Christian for 35 plus years, and there are many people that I started out with 
whether it was in college or my previous church or at the great 17 years of Browncroft Community Church, that are no longer here. Okay? I don't mean, you know, they're, I'm not talking about people that are going to another great church in town or out of town. I'm saying they're not going anywhere. And I see them in Wegmans, some of them. I see them in the gym. I see them here and I see them, hey, friend, what gives? How you doing? And what many people will say, you, you, you meet these people all the time. Maybe you're, you know, you, you, you have friends, you know, parts of members of your family. And they say things, you know, if I know them well enough, we have a real conversation that makes sense. They've had disruptions that have happened in their life. I went through a divorce, and it really rocked my world. Uh, I had a, the, the church had a really bad experience at the church. Maybe this church, you know, this or that happened, some kind of judgment. And I think, okay, I get it. These are understandable excuse or, or, or experiences, but they're not new. They're not new. That's what Jesus is trying to say here. Difficulties will come. Life is difficult. Trials will come. Difficulties will come. And what I would say, I can't say for every person, but sitting down to some of those who I've talked to had more than a five-minute conversation, the reason, below the reason that they give is they didn't sit down and estimate the cost. They thought what it means to follow Jesus is a part-time thing. I can follow Jesus part-time. I can just do this, I can weave this partly into my life, but I still want to keep other things in my life. I still want to listen to other, I want to take directions from other places, values from other places. It's sort of a mixed bag, a hodgepodge, and Jesus saying, don't waste your time, it's not going to work. Okay? We can point our fingers, but the problem is we've never really counted the cost. Jesus is not setting a high bar here, by the way. When you listen to this language, we've got to keep in mind, he's talking to his insiders. This is insider talk. Unless you hate your mother, your father, your own life also. He's, this is, he's already talking to people who are already sort of in, in a manner of speaking. They're the semi-convinced. Okay, This is somewhat rhetorical language. But Jesus isn't setting a high bar for the elite. Large crowds are following him. This isn't, the, this isn't SEAL Team 6 Christians. These are large crowds. They're enthusiastic. They're open. He's simply trying to explain to them the true nature of discipleship. That's all he's trying to do. He's saying, listen, if you really want to get to the end, if you really want to mature, if you really want to be a part of this mission, if you really want to see your life experience the fruits of the Spirit... If you really want to see your life have a purpose that's beyond your own you know, satisfaction and your own accumulation of this or that, if you really want to experience what I'm talking about, all I'm saying is you have to be all in. You have to give everything that you have. That's the nature of discipleship. That's all he's trying to say. Okay? G.K. Chesterton one of the great thinkers of the last century, uh, an author and theologian or um, wrote a book, early part of the 20th century, What's Wrong with the World? It's the title of the book. One of the great quotes from it. The Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. This, I would say, is the real reason some people are not around anymore. Okay? Divorces have always happened. You know, church politics have always happened. You know, disappointments, job losses, health. These things are as old as time itself. The reason below the reason is that you never really gave yourself all to what it means to be a Christian. It's not been, it's not been tried and found wanting. It's been found difficult because you can't do it part-time and left untried. 
True discipleship only works when you commit to following Jesus as your top priority. Is Jesus Christ the Lord of your life? Okay, that's really what Jesus is saying. Not because he has a weak ego, because he, he, has, he has a true understanding of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Number one, take the long view. Two, the all-in challenge. You need to give your whole heart. Okay? Oh my goodness. I could be sitting here in front of, you know, a young couple or any age couple about to get married and hear a speech like this. And let me tell you something. Marriage is a, is a challenge. Marriage is, is a great commitment. It's, it's, it has all these wonderful promises, but there's all these challenges. Listen, this is, that's, a, that's a small metaphor for what it means to walk with God, which will happen forever. Okay? You got to give your whole heart. Can't be married part-time either, right? Now, it's not immediately obvious to a modern reader what Jesus is saying in these opening statements, unless you hate your mother and your father and your brothers and your sisters. Some of you say, well, I, I kind of hate my dad, so I'm in, you know, or whatever. But unless you, and Jesus throws this in, unless you hate your own life also, you cannot be my disciple. I mean, if that was the only verse anyone ever shared with you, I'm sure you wouldn't visit the church, okay? So it's, it, it's not immediately obvious what Jesus is saying, but we know what he's not saying, Right? He's not talking about the most obvious interpretation of the word hate, let's say active, passionate dislike. He's not saying unless you actively passionate dislike your mom and your dad, that would be, that would be a contradiction of the, of the fifth commandment, right? I mean, Jesus isn't that. You know that's not what he means. That you should, how could you honor your mother and father and hate them at the same time, passionate dislike? So we know he's not saying that. And some of you know what he is saying, but the first audience of this would certainly understand it's a Hebrew idiom, okay? Jesus uses many of them, as do other writers, that really means loving less. Now listen carefully, loving less. Unless you love your life less than you love me, unless you love your, your kids less than you love me, you cannot be my disciple. And this is, this, let's call this Hebrew idiom. If you read your Bible, you've seen this before in, in, in one very, very famous place that everyone listening to this would know. Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. Right? And we're talking about the promises of God coming through Abraham, maturing up into, ultimately into Jesus. God is making some choices. And he says, the grandson of Abraham, Jacob, have I loved. What does that mean? I'm choosing, I got to make a choice. And I'm choosing this, just like I chose Abraham. I'm choosing Isaac. I'm choosing Jacob. Jacob have I loved. Esau have I hated. Means that God is making a priority choice. Now listen, if you read the book of Genesis, Esau isn't hated. I'd, be, I'd sign up to be Esau in the book of Genesis. He was a very wealthy man. Didn't mean that God hated him. I mean, God's making a choice. And what Jesus is simply saying here is that discipleship requires Jesus has given priority allegiance in your life and in your loves. Why? Because if you love him first priority, it redefines all the other loves. See, that's our problem. You have no idea. The capacity of the human heart is far greater than any of us know. As Augustine said, we were made for you, only in you, you know, uh, do we find our truest selves. 
What does it mean to hate your own life? It's worth taking just a minute because you could read these verses and go, this guy's lost his marbles, okay? Jesus is not talking. When he says, unless you hate your own life also, less love, a lesser love, he's not talking about self-loathing, okay? Why do I know that? Because self-loathing, self-hate is really just another way of focusing on yourself, if you think about it. He's not talking about self. Hate really means, the underlying word translated hate here means to detach yourself from something, right? It's a lesser love. For us, what does it mean for you, me, Rob? What does it mean for us? It means how do, I, how, do I, how do I love less? How do I detach myself? For us, it mainly means wasteful, detaching from wasteful preoccupations that many of us have that are eating up good time. Yes, sometimes it's addictive sin, that poisons our lives, the lesser loves. But even from good things and ultimate things, listen, if you love your career, if that's your primary purpose in life, if that's your greatest love, it will tear you down, right? It will ultimately ruin you. You love your kids, you better love your kids. I hope you love your spouse. But if they're your ultimate, if they're, a, if they're like a God in your life, you'll ruin them, okay? Augustine. The great, one of the greatest thinkers of, of really the entire Christian church, 4th century, what we call, quote, unquote, a church father, but one of the great, great thinkers said in his Confessions, great book, the essence of sin is disordered love. What a great way to put it. The essence of sin. Yeah, there's, we can talk about all the different kinds of things that you, you and I do to mess up our lives, cross over the line and, and immorality and all these things that are all true. But Augustus, let me give you the big picture. The essence of sin is disordered love. It's loving certain things in the wrong degree that's messing up your life. And Jesus said, listen, put me first. And if you put me first where I belong, everything else will follow in the right place. And you'll know life and you'll know love as it was meant to be. What does it mean to carry your cross? I'm going to unpack another quick metaphor. First sit down and estimate the cost, or excuse me, verse 27. Whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. You've all heard that verse. What does it mean? Well, Jesus isn't saying that, that we need to follow him to actual crucifixion. No one, I mean that, no one would believe that. So obviously it's an image. It's a, it's a, it's a metaphor. What does it mean to carry your cross? Practically speaking, it means you need, if you want to be a follower of Jesus, you want to experience the mission in its full sense, you want to be in the story, you want God to write a story with your life, which he wants to do, then what it means is you need to crucify your ego, okay? Which is the driver of the smaller loves that are ruining everything that's good in your life. That's what he's saying. You need to crucify to a degree. He that finds his life shall lose it. He that loses it finds it. a creative way of saying, listen, your ego is what's poisoning your life. You can, yeah, sure, you went through a divorce and sure, you, the church, you know, pastor was a goof and, and people are judgmental and you had a bad small group experience and fill in the blank, but that's not really the problem. All right. You need every single day, you need to see what your real problem is. The final chapter of the letter, of Paul's letter, Apostle Paul, quick illustration, very quick. The final letter that he wrote, he wrote 13 letters of the New Testament. 
The last one was 2 Timothy chapter, uh, 2 Timothy. The last book and now the last chapter, chapter 4. In that chapter, I think it's around verse 9, Paul says, you know, flat out that he was going to die. I'm being poured out like a drink offering. The time of my departure is near. Paul is basically saying to his protege, Timothy, let me tell you something. Training day is over. It's been fun, but my days are limited. I can see the guillotine from here. So I want you to snap. I want you to wake up and realize it's your ball to carry from this point forward. Now, the time of my departure is near. But then he says this verse that many of us read and, and, and miss the power of it. Do your best to come to me quickly. Very last paragraph written by the Apostle Paul, at least as the New Testament records it. For Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Okay? Now, who is Demas and why is that even important? He's not, he wasn't the guy who carried Paul's bags. He wasn't some, you know, uh, uh, you know uh, keeping notes. Demas was, he's mentioned a number of times in the New Testament. I'm sure this is here on purpose. And two times I can think of, one is in, in the book of Philemon, where Paul says, da-da-da-da, so-and-so, and so-and-so, and Demas, my fellow worker. And we know the dates when you do the math between, let's say, Philemon and 2 Timothy, that that was probably 10 years back. So Demas, this guy Demas, there are other names, but he spent years as a fellow minister with the apostle Paul, who wrote, a majority of the New Testament. It's Colossians chapter 4. Paul's saying the same thing. So and so, so and so. And he says, and Demas and Luke. They, he traveled, he spent time with Luke, who wrote actually more of the New Testament than Paul. If you add up Luke and Acts, it's bigger than the letters of Paul. So all I'm saying is this this guy, Demas, he spent time with the two people, Paul and Luke, who wrote the overwhelming majority of the New Testament. I have to believe that was an enriching experience. I have to believe he's got some stories to tell. He's seen things and heard things and was discipled by two of the giants. But Paul says, Demas, having loved this world, has deserted me has deserted me. What does it mean? Somewhere along the line, he stopped saying yes to God and no to the world and said no to God and yes to the world. He had disordered love. And let me tell you something, friend. If it can happen to Demas, it can happen to me and it can happen to you. Okay? And he said, does that mean you're going to, Demas died and went to hell? No, it's not my sermon. And man, he never experienced the life that God wanted him. He never finished his course. He didn't count the cost. He thought he could be a Christian part-time. Okay? The all-in challenge. Take the long view. Give your whole heart. I'm out of time here. Develop growth habits and make commitments. That's where we're going in these weeks. You have to take responsibility for your own life. Okay, and my own life. Only God, Jesus, can forgive your sin and give you a ticket to heaven if I can use that language. That's not what I'm talking about. 
Okay? Only God can do that, and it's, that's the beauty and miracle, thief on the cross. If you're a Christian, it's, we, we actually don't do a lot there. We exercise a faith in what God has done. But now what I'm talking about here is discipleship. What I'm talking about here is maturity. What I'm talking about here is, are you living the life that God has designed you to live? You have a role to play. I have a role to play. You want to be a part of the mission? You want God to tell a story in your life? God needs full access of your heart and your life. He needs your full attention. Are you giving it to him? How do I do that? It's nothing new here, friends. It's the beauty of the 100-year-old church. It, it, the problem isn't the prescription. The problem is whether or not you're taking it. God needs, you need to be in the word of God, living, active, stronger, you know, uh, like a two-edged sword, dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, the thoughts and intents of the heart. It exposes everything before him so God can speak life into you. Are you doing that? Well, I, once in a while, well, there you go. Are you involved in an accountable community where people who can challenge you, encourage you, pray for you, and say, listen, what are you doing? You got gifts. Why are you sitting on your hands? Get in the game. How come you, you, you don't share your faith? Why not? Okay. I was, a uh, quick story. I was, um, it's about a week ago. I, I, I had a dream. Okay. Here's my dream in a minute. And it was one of those dreams where you wake up and, and, and it, it's, it, was, it, it must have happened just before I woke up. So that's right. It was very vivid and I remembered it. And here's my dream or what I can share in, the, in a minute here. You know, I'm, I'm in this car and all of a sudden I take a turn and I turn. It's, I'm like one of those huge bridges in New York City. But as soon as I take the turn, I know I'm, I'm, I made a bad turn I'm in my mind. I'm in the dream. And I'm supposed to get somebody, pick somebody up. And I'm, I'm on this bridge. Next thing you know, I'm in a boat. And the boat's going across this little bay. And next thing you know, I'm from this boat. Now I'm in this place. It's like a homeless shelter. And every time I go from one thing to the next, I feel like I'm further away from where I need to be. And, I'm in, and I can still remember today, this is a week ago, the woman's face who was at this homeless shelter, and she hands me these clothes. And I remember they were like, they, they weren't the right clothes for me. And I, and, but I just was in a desperate situation. But I remember thinking, I don't want to wear those clothes, but I had to, so I put these clothes on that look weird. And then, next thing you know, the last scene of my dream is I'm standing in front of my house and I'm with my phone and I'm feverishly working on my phone because I'm trying to tell the person that I was supposed to connect with after all these detours what happened to me and I'm so frustrated. It's a feeling I had when I woke up and I finally realized as I'm looking at the phone, this is the reason the contacts don't work and none of the navigation works. This is not my phone. It's somebody else's phone. I wake up. End of dream. Now you're saying, Rob, why did you just waste a minute of time in church to tell me that stupid dream? And you've all had dreams like this, and, and so what? And I just woke up. It wasn't a horrible thing. I didn't have any heavy feeling. It was just smile and went on to my day or my morning. But about an hour or so later, it hit me that every single thing I told you and 10 things I didn't, details, all were from a show I had watched the night before this Australian crime drama thing, and I was not very invested in it. I didn't even watch the whole episode, right? But here's my point. I don't even know if I was paying attention the whole time, but my body and my mind were, and not only did that, my body and my mind capture all of these little details. All of those details and many more were part of this show, but not only did it record those details, it put me into the show, it wasn't, just a, it wasn't just a rerun. I was now a main character. And what I'm saying to you guys is, that's happening to you 
and to me every single day in one way or another. The culture that we live in, I hope you know this, moms, dads, the culture that we live in, husbands, wives, students, the culture that we live in, it has a discipleship program too, okay? It's trying to disciple you every single day. Some of the people I've sat down with over the years, the Wegman friends, you know, why don't you believe this anymore? And only a few times where I sit down, tell me why I don't believe this anymore. It's never, we never get to chapter and verse, you see? It doesn't feel right to me anymore. It doesn't seem right to me. In other words, somehow... They used to be strong, committed followers of Jesus. With, I'm talking about base, basic orthodoxy. I'm talking about crazy tertiary views. Basic, basic orthodoxy, this doesn't add up for me anymore. Wow, right? God wants to tell a story through your life. God wants to tell a story through this church, but he's not the only one who's telling a story. He's not the only one that's looking for your attention. What I'm saying to you, what we're gonna say over these next many weeks is, listen, you need to... To make, develop growth habits and make some commitments. If you want to rewire your heart, finish the job, and become what it is that God wants you to become. You know what I loved about that, that video? Many things. As, as Josh said, it was an hour long. But one of the things I loved about what Ted said, Ted Giroux, I hope I'm not, you know, breaking a confidence or something. Or, but, I mean, Ted, I think, is in his 90s. Didn't look it. But he's in his 90s. He met his wife at this church. Okay? Wow. Wow. And he said, you know, Rob, friends, I was at this church for a long time. He probably grew up in a Christian home. But he said, I was a believer, but at some point along the way, right, I became convinced of the truth of the word of God. And I realized God was doing something in my life and wanted something for my life. I, are you, he became convinced. Have you become convinced? Okay? Discipleship is a lifelong journey. You've got to take the long view. You've got to estimate the cost. And you've got to give your whole heart. So where are we going? We're going to look in the next three weeks. These are not just, you know, refrigerator words. Invite. Are you in the inviting game? Make every single person in this church, not pastors, every person in this church, even if you've been a Christian for six months, needs to be making disciples. It's not that hard. Are you doing it? Are you on both ends of that relationship? And every single person needs to mobilize in one way or another. You gotta make commitments. You gotta start good habits. This is what it means if we really wanna be true to our calling. Amen? All right. Let's pray. God, thank you for this day. We love you, and we um, pray that you would, this would be just the end of the beginning, Lord, of what you want to do at Browncroft Community Church. Get a hold of our hearts. Change us. Make us more like Jesus, we pray in his name. Amen. Amen. Friends, a couple things, quickly. No video, closing video. You saw enough video today. Um, one is, if you're new, this will be just over the next five weeks, relatively new to this church, there are gift bags when you walk out to the right. They're just for these five weeks. We're not, we, don't do, you know, we don't do gifts all the time. It's, you know, sometimes churches do it. We do it too. But this is just for these five weeks. So we want you to have, we want to say welcome. 
right? Because we're building the next hundred. We want you, if God's brought you here, to be a part of it. And I will say this. I'm not much of a gift bag guy myself, but of all the gift bags we've done, I think these are the best. So I'm just saying, I'd grab one if you're relatively new. And um, the other thing is pizza with the pastor. Tonight, if I haven't met you, uh, uh, you know, even if you've been here a little bit of a time, um, it's an easy, easy thing to do. You, you text pizza to the number. Um, they'll send you a pizza of your choosing. That's, you know, and we just have a conversation over Zoom, a dozen of us or more. I would love to do that. You can do that tonight. Amen? Amen. Have a great Sunday.